Okay, so the Bible reading is um, Mark chapter 2, reading from verse 13. I'm using the NIV version if you're following on your phones. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Um, just a practical thing, and then I'll pray. Um, you know, best laid plans and everything. I thought I was going to give you equal amounts on each point and this. Didn't work out that way. Most of it's going to be these uh, first two points, forgiveness and a seat at the table. These will be much shorter. If you're a note taker, that'll drive you nuts, but I'm sorry. There you go. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for Mark's uh, fast-paced and clear and glorious gospel that you've had recorded for us. Please help us to park our preconceptions about Jesus and just speak to us afresh um, about who Jesus is, why he came, and how we should respond. Um, please uh, confirm and shore up in us the stuff that is right and help get rid of the stuff that is wrong. Amen. So how do you go with conflict? I mean... I, this, the word gives me the shivers. I, I can do it if I really have to, but it is not my happy place, okay? 
Now, this book, Strengths Finder, it's one of these ones where you do a, an online survey and it tells you about your personality. Now, the good one, this one, is it tells you what your strengths are. It's really positive, what's good about you. And my top strength is harmony. Let me uh, just give you bits of the summary. See if you recognize me in this. You look for areas of agreement. In your view, there's little to be gained from conflict and friction. Wouldn't it be more productive if we kept our opinions in check and instead looked for consensus and support? When others are sounding off about their opinions, you hold your peace. In your view, we're all in the same boat, and we need this boat to get where we're going. It's a good boat. There's no need to rock the boat just to show that you can. I think that's a, Sharon tells me that's a pretty good summary of me as it comes to conflict. Well, I wonder what Jesus' sort of strengths finder would come up with. Because in chapter 2 here and throughout Mark, we find Jesus facing opposition, getting into conflict. And it's not that he's going out of his way to look for conflict. It's because he is this great game changer. He's turning everything upside down. That is, the religious society that he comes into have got very fixed ideas about who is in with God and who is out. And they've got very fixed ideas about, what, about the kind of rescuer king they're expecting God to, save, to send. Sorry. And Jesus just isn't fitting into that box. And each episode in chapter 2, we see the opposition ramp up, don't we? Um, first of all, in that first episode with the paralytic man, it's just in their thoughts. Uh, then they have a go at Jesus' disciples. And finally, they confront Jesus directly. So we've got four episodes of conflict that we'll look at today. And in each one, Jesus uses them to reveal things about himself and about the heart of his opponents. And there's a format to each one of them. There's kind of a flashpoint. Something happens. There's a question asked by someone assuming that they're in the right. And then Jesus answering in a way that, that's so powerful it turns the tables. Each episode showing how Jesus is a game changer. And each episode is like, like a line in the sand that asks of us, the reader, whose side are you on? What do you make with Jesus? of Jesus? Are you with him or are you opposed to him? So that's what we're going to look at. But let's get up to speed um, where we're up to. Last week we saw that Mark's written this gospel, a proclamation of important good news, to show us what it means that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, God's rescuer king, who's come to pay for our sins. And Jesus' message is to repent, turn away from living for yourself and relying on yourself and believe in him. Um, and in the chunk that we've missed between where we got to last week and now, um, the headline is authority. Jesus has been teaching with authority. He's shown his authority over evil spirits. He's shown his authority over disease, healing many. And by now, Jesus has become the hottest ticket in Galilee. As people want to get healed, 
that loads of people want to get healed and come to him and get healed. Now, the problem with that is crowds. It's meaning there's loads of crowds following him wherever he goes, making it hard for him to do what he came to do. So he goes off somewhere quiet to pray. So if you just flick back to chapter 1, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him, for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so we can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus has come to preach. That's his mission. But he's compassionate and he's powerful. So, of course, he heals people as they come to him. But news spreads fast. Chapter 145. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So as we pick up this story, um, Jesus has returned from a, a kind of tour of Galilee. We've got a couple of maps there, Nathan. Thank you. Um, so that's uh, Israel on the whole. So you see the pink bit Galilee at the top. Next one. So here's Galilee, just to give you an idea of where things are. So Jesus has returned to Capernaum after a sort of tour around Galilee. Thank you. So verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. What is that word he wants to preach? Well, Jesus says he is the kingdom being brought near, and Jesus' kingdom brings, this is what he's preaching, and it's your the outline headlines. He brings forgiveness, a seat at the table, party time, and true rest. So first up, forgiveness. Just notice Jesus' priority here. Verse 2. He preached the word to them. Now, I suppose lots of the crowd had heard about Jesus' amazing teaching with authority. But Jesus probably can't have failed to notice that many, completely understandably, were desperate for healing. Now, Jesus could have spent his whole time healing and casting out demons, but he knows he's come to solve a much bigger, more eternal problem. He's come to solve the problem of our relationship with God. See, being reconciled to God is every human's greatest and most urgent need. Being reconciled to God is every human's greatest and most urgent need. And as our growth groups start up again, it's good to have this reminder from Jesus about the priority of God's word. Because here's what happens with growth groups, right? You're all lovely people, so you all care about one another, and you get to know each other and trust one another and love one another, and that's all really good. But what tends to happen because of that is the Bible study time in growth group gets shorter and shorter and the prayer time gets longer and longer. And actually the prayer time ends up 70-80% of you sharing prayer points and about 20% actually praying. We end up bringing our problems before each other more than we do bringing them before God. And the Bible study, the time in God's word gets shrunk. 
Now, of course, part of the aim of growth groups is for you to be able to love and pray for one another like that and bear one another's burdens. Yes. But Jesus knew that the best, the most profound, the most enduring way to care for each other is to share God's word with each other. So it's not a case of the Bible study and then you pastorally care for one another. Bible study is the first and best way to pastorally care for one another. So Jesus prioritizes the word, and that word is forgiveness. Mark slows the narrative right down here. Lots of detail, and it, help, it helps us feel that. You feel like you're there. You can feel the crowd pressing against the house as Jesus preaches, probably from the doorway. Verse 3, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to, get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now these makes the paralyzed man, they're can-do blokes, aren't they? They're lateral thinkers. They aren't giving up. The normal polite rules aren't going to work for their friend, so they get creative. They dismantle the roof to make a way to Jesus. Just as Jesus is dismantling religious rule-following as the way to get to God. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's not what they'd come for. They brought their friends to Jesus in desperate hope of Jesus healing him. Now, who shops at Aldi? Okay, Aldi's great. They've got a slide there, I think. Aldi's great, but you can often come away from Aldi with something different to what you went in for. Because you see, if you're not being in the middle, they've got the special buys, bargains, some really good stuff in there. But the danger is you pop in for bread and milk and you come home with a trumpet. <laughs> You're going for sausages, and you come home with a solar panel. This man, this, these men had come for this man to be healed. They, didn't, they came back with something more than they bargained for. He came for physical restoration, but Jesus sees our greatest need, and he gives him something else first. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, Jesus is not saying that this man's disability is directly caused by his personal sin. No, that, that's not the point here. Jesus' point is that whatever our felt needs are, our greatest problem is sin. And our greatest need is for God's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the best blessing we can know in this life. Because it means reconciliation with God. So as desperate and painful and difficult as that paralyzed man's life must have been in that first century, without forgiveness, our plight is infinitely more desperate. We're in much more trouble um, facing the just and right judgment for our rebellion against God. Because every one of us is guilty of 
denying God his rightful place as ruler of our lives. Each of us have turned to our own ways, and that separates us from God. But Jesus has come to bring forgiveness. And that means a clean slate. It means knowing that at the end, God will say, yes, you wronged and hurt me, but Jesus has dealt with it, and you are forgiven. I won't hold it against you. But forgiveness is more than just a clean slate. Forgiveness through Jesus is being brought from one kingdom of darkness into another kingdom and kept there safely forever. So Colossians 1, there's a slide there, thank you. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, describes forgiveness like this. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, everything paid for, the forgiveness of sins. A clean slate and a new citizenship, fresh reason and fresh power to live life for God, empowered by him. And how do you get all of this? By faith. By digging away the old way of trusting and believing in yourself and humbly lowering yourself at Jesus' feet, trusting him to save you. But there's a problem, isn't there? There's conflict in the air. Verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know, if Jesus is just another bloke, they've got a point. Sin is rebellion against God. So only God can declare forgiveness. Who does Jesus think he is? Uh, in September, I've got another slide, thanks, Nathan. In September, um, two blokes were arrested for impersonating a police officer. So they uh, stopped a car on Marion Road in, at one o'clock in the morning and pretended to be SA police. They issued the motorist a fine and even drove him to a nearby petrol station to withdraw money. The victim paid the two impersonators and was returned to his car. Poor bloke. Apparently you can get these police lights off eBay now, so people are trying it on. So just look out. Ask to see your badge when you're speeding, which you won't. Okay. <laughs> you can go to prison for three years for claiming to have the authority of a police officer when you haven't. Jesus could have been stoned to death for claiming to be able to forgive. Has he really got the authority to forgive sins? Jesus knows what they're thinking. Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. I mean, anyone can say you are forgiven, God's forgiven you, um, but you can't actually see if it's happened. It's an internal thing. But Jesus demonstrates he has the authority he does the seemingly harder thing of healing the man to show the greater work of forgiving the man is real. Verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, 
take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Now, Jesus calls himself, did you know, it's the son of man here. It's a phrase that can just mean a human being, but Jesus is using it as it's used in Daniel. Jesus is claiming to be the son of man in a vision that Daniel saw. I think we got the verse, yeah. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Excuse me. Whenever humans come face to face with God in the Bible, they have to hide away from his holiness. If you think of Isaiah and Moses and Elijah, to hide away from God's glory and his holiness, except for this human. Jesus has power and authority to heal the paralyzed man and to forgive him because he is this one, this son of man, given rule over everything. So let me ask you, have you ever asked Jesus in faith for forgiveness? Because that's the offer. Free and complete forgiveness forever. Or do you need reminding that free and complete forgiveness is what you've got? as a follower of Jesus? Do you feel like you might have overstretched your forgiveness quota and run out by now? Because the truth is, it's not down to you. It's down to Jesus say so, whether or not you're forgiven. All we need to do is repent, believe Jesus is the Christ with all authority, and come to him in faith. And please don't wait to do that until you think you've got yourself together enough to approach Jesus. See, Jesus didn't seem to mind, did he, getting a bit of plaster on his head as those blokes dug through the roof. Jesus wasn't concerned that these blokes were breaking the, norm, the social norms. All he was interested in was their faith. Whatever your felt needs are, Jesus is most concerned with your faith in him. Because Jesus wants you to have a seat at the table. Next point. Jesus has not got a too hard basket. Jesus has got the authority and the power to call anyone. So verse 14. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So as a tax collector, Levi would have been the lowest of the low. Okay? He'd have been, he was a shameful collaborator with the Romans. He'd have been seen as richly unclean for dealing with them. It is lower in status and honor than a Gentile slave to the Jewish community. 
And yet this is who Jesus calls. Jesus has been preaching that in him the kingdom of God is here. Not fully yet, but it has started and this is your chance to get in. And Levi is modeling for us the right response. He simply believes Jesus is worth obeying. He repents. He steps away from his tax booth, his dodgy livelihood, and follows him. Levi was an opponent of God, in conflict with him, but he leaves all that behind to follow Jesus. And so he invites Jesus around for dinner, verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Levi, having been rich but lonely, has had his game changed by Jesus. And it's a beautiful scene of the once rejected enjoying fellowship and acceptance with Jesus. In that culture, eating with someone was a big deal. It showed you honored them. It was kind of throwing your lot in with them. And this is not fitting in with the religious box that the Pharisees want Jesus to stay in. Verse 16, when the teacher of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And they've got a point, haven't they? If you look at um, Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners sit or sit in the company of mockers. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus giving approval to sinful lives, saying that they're being, is Jesus saying that they're being enemies of God just doesn't matter? No. See, the key thing about this table fellowship is who Jesus is and why he is sitting with them. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. As righteous. Example, there's heaps of others. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. So Jesus is saying, you don't have to fast to encourage God to send his rescuer. I'm 